All right. Well, as we as we as you've heard, this is the 100th message. Okay, and I just thought I would show you, as Eric said, what this message series looks like in paper. Oh. <laughs> so here's it's about 1,500 pages of of notes, and there's a lot of stuff that was net that never made it here uh, that got cut out that's still in my files. But today we're going to wrap it up, and uh, I'm excited for what God has shown us and what He has in store for us. So very good to see. You my dear. All right. So uh, in our walk through the book of Exodus, in the, in the last uh, three messages, we, did a, we had a message that was called God's Vision Realized. In each one of those, we talked about a specific section. We talked about in the first one uh, about God's plan realized. We looked at the Holy of Holies there where God was going to assemble uh, that the inner sanctum of the tabernacle where the Ark of the Covenant was going to be put in place. This was a place that would allow intimacy for the people with God. Then we looked at the next one, which was God's provision and God's provision of uh, God's provision realized. And what we looked at there was the fact that God had erected then the holy place. This is where you saw the table of showbread. This is where you saw the golden candlestick. This is where you saw the altar of incense. Uh, the golden candlestick representing the spirit of God. Uh, the altar representing the prayers of God's people. And then the table of showbread representing the word of God. And we saw that that was a place of worship where, where you could worship in spirit and truth. Then we moved on to the promises realized. And in the promises, what we were is we were in the outer court. And this when the outer court was assembled. You saw the altar uh, that was there for sacrifice, the burnt offerings. And then you also saw the labor. This was a place of sacrifice. This was a place of cleansing. So we see a, a, an area of restoration that God put in place. So the tabernacle as a whole, what we see in is it really is a display of God's heart towards humanity, all about a heart of restoring us, restoring us into a walk, into a fellowship with God. And what we see here is that certainly was the function for the Israelites, but when we consider the tabernacle for us and what it pictures is it pictures us, our walk with God as believers. And it is, it is this, we're to walk with intimacy with God, we're supposed to walk worshipfully with God, and we're also supposed to walk restored with God. But see, like the Israelites... Even though those sound simple, well, just intimate, yeah, worshipful, absolutely. Man, restored, oh yeah, I'm all about it. They struggle <laughs> to walk in the way that God intends for them to walk. And what we find is we struggle as well to walk in the way that God intends. He wants that for us. He wants fellowship with us. He wants to walk with us. That's the restored and intimate and, and full of worship, but there's a struggle. And what we've seen is we've watched with the Israelites. We've seen them at their best, but guess what? We've also seen them at their worst. Now, as we consider this and we think about from God's perspective, looking at our lives, I think God has certainly seen us at our best and he's certainly seen us at our worst. He's seen us at points and times in our life when we're obedient and when we're humble, humble and when we're submissive. And man, those times are so sweet. Amen. But at the same time, he's also seen us when we're arrogant mm. and rebellious, yep. full of self, right? And this struggle is universal and this struggle is real. Anyone who's been saved for any period of time knows this is to be a reality. It is a constant fight. Our flesh wants what it wants, and our spirit is constantly trying to work within us. But what we find is the fact that every step of the way, God's there. The good days, He's there, and those bad days, He's there as well. And Jeremiah 23, 24 says this, Can any hide himself in his secret places that I shall not see, saith the Lord? Do not I fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? So he's been there from the very beginning, and guess what? He's going to be there all the way to the very end. And amazingly, what we see with God is not only is the fact that he's always there, but it's the fact that God always has a plan. 
That's the remarkable thing. We think about our lives seem so topsy-turvy and things happen and go, why, what, uh, I don't understand what's taking place. Yet God incredibly has a plan. And the fact that not only does God have a plan, but God is also very adaptable. And what I mean by that is this, God works with our decisions, right? How many of us have ever made bonehead decisions you just totally regret? <laughs> You're like, man, oh, if I could go back, I never would have done that before. Oh my goodness, that was the worst plan ever. But thankfully, God is long-suffering, the Bible talks. Long-suffering means patient with humanity. And 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but He is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So what we see is God's heart there. God's heart is, he said, look, you know what? God's this optimist. He's like, look, I want everybody to be saved. I want everybody to turn. I want everybody to hear the truth. And what we find here is that as we're bumbling through life, following our own human wisdom and our own emotions, what we find is the fact that God patiently waits on us. And in the midst of while we're making our bad choices, he's trying to compel us to the right thing. So the spirit is trying to work through our bonehead decisions, and actually weaving our choices into a plan for our lives. Romans 8, 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. And I know we've all heard that before. But if we think about it in a physical, in a way, and I think I may have used this as an example before, but the GPS on your phone, right? The GPS on your phone, if you consider this, God works like the GPS on your phone. The GPS tells you, Okay, you put in the destination. Okay, I want to get to Carolina Place Mall. Boop. And it goes, okay, make a right turn. And you're like, well, I think I'm going to go left. Does the GPS go, that's it, you're on your own. <laughs> Done with you. You're dead to me. No. It goes, recalculating. Hey, bonehead, bonehead, recalculating. Okay, okay, now we go up here, make a right, da, 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 da. And then you follow it for a little while, and then you make another wrong turn. That's it, two times, that's it, I'm done. No. Recalculating. And no matter how many moronic things we may do and how many U-turns we may do and all the things we pull off, recalculating, recalculating, because what is it? It's got a plan to get you to a final destination, and it incorporates your bad choices into getting you to that end. And that's a picture of the way God works in our lives. It's amazing how he functions. And I can tell you, man, I'm so thankful for God's patience and not giving up. Because some of us have made some really bad choices and continue to make bad choices for extended periods of time. And yet God always is faithful to recalculate and get us back on track. So praise the Lord for that. Ephesians 2 forces this, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. Okay? So we hear, we understand God's patience with us, but there's also that mercy that goes hand in hand with that. And what's so beautiful, we think about this phrase, rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. And when we think about the term rich, many times we think about somebody who has monetary wealth, right? They've got super, they got tons of money. We might say they're overflowing with finances. But what's so cool is if you consider this term that he's rich in mercy, God is overflowing with mercy. Amen. He has an abundance of mercy. How many of us are thankful for that? Thank oh my you. goodness gracious. Yeah. Mercy is to withhold a punishment which is deserved. Amen. Grace means to give you something that you don't deserve. And miss mercy is withholding something that we deserve. And we certainly can see it displayed to the Israelites. Boy, oh boy. As people have come in the outer court, they're coming with an idea of a, a hope of restoration. They're coming with sacrifice and with spiritual cleansing. God's doing that. And we can certainly see that that's true for us as well. In the church ages, we're living our lives. We can certainly see that God is merciful and that God is long-suffering. But we've seen in, the, in, the, in those three messages, we saw the, the plans, God's plans. We saw God's provisions. We've seen God's promises. 
And then now today, as we finish our walk, we're going to see God's presence manifested in our message today, which is called the presence of his love. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today. God, thank you so much for giving us this time where we can gather around the word of God. Thank you for the scripture, Lord, that is so rich, that is so powerful, God, that literally grips us in ways that nothing else can. Thank you for the divine and supernatural nature of the word. I pray that, God, you'll speak to our hearts today. Help us to hear from you. Uh, Lord, I know you've spoken to me throughout the week, and I'm, I'm asking you now to speak through me. Lord, that the human element might be removed. Help this not be a message from me, but a message from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so last week we saw the tabernacle come to a finish. In Exodus 40, verse 33, we heard this. It says, And he reared up the court round about the tabernacle and the altar and set up the hanging of the court gate. That was the very last piece. So Moses finished the work. Okay, so the work was done. Every part was put in place. Every piece of furniture was set exactly where it was supposed to be. And we saw in that description, and actually in Exodus 40, we saw the same phrase eight different times. And that phrase was this, as the Lord commanded Moses, as the Lord commanded Moses. So Moses did exactly what he was told. He followed every instruction to a T. And because of that, we can lead into verse 34, which is this, starting here in Exodus 40, 34 through 38. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward in all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle by day, and fire was on it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. I want you to imagine, right? The time, the energy, the dedication, the resources, and just plain hard work that they have put in for the last six months to create this place. They have been working towards this concept of God arriving. And now what they're doing, they've got everything in place. And now finally the Lord arrives and he's inhabiting this dwelling. And I got to, that's got to be thrilling, but also a little bit scary at the same time. But you've got to realize the fact that I mean, how many of us have ever heard that question asked of us, which is like, you know, hey, if you went through your day and God was standing right with you through every decision and everything you did, would you act differently? And everybody's like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, absolutely. That's greater accountability. Yet, though, he's there, right? But if he was physically standing there, would be like, <clears throat> really? You got extra change? <clears throat> what you going to do, right? We'd be like, oh, yeah, you're right, Lord. I'm going to do the right thing. And we think about that, go, man, oh, man. And we think about this, and we're like, you know, it made me think of, like, when you go to the DMV, right? Before you go to the DMV, if you're practicing driving, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. But when the instructor sits down beside you and gets our clipboard out, <clears throat> all right, you're going to make a three-point turn. You're like, okay, three points. <sighs> right? It's exciting, but it's scary at the same time. And that's probably kind of the emotions that they're dealing with at this moment. Because you've got to realize, remember that cloud that was up on the mountain? Well, now that cloud that was up on the mountain that they were so scared of is sitting right in the middle of their camp. This is their reality. God is in their presence. But before we get to there, there's going to be three different factors that are going to play into uh, God's presence. But before we get there, I want to look at a couple of things here. In verse number 34, it says here, um, uh, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Okay, So first of all, we look at the obedience that's required in regards to this God's presence taking hold. And we want to start with just that very first word, then. 
then. When you see the word then, what it tells you is that there's an action that has been already fulfilled that is going to make way for a following action to take place, right? So then that's telling us, hey, and then we know because we've looked in Exodus, the fact that God has said, look, you know what? The reason why this is taking place is because the tabernacle has been finished. One of the ones I love in 2 Chronicles 7.14, this is one of those ones that you hear certain things are going to be done and then something's going to happen. And this is such a beautiful example. It says, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. If you do all those things, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. And Moses has finished the work. And so we see that God has arrived because of the fact that they fulfilled and did exactly as God commanded, meaning they followed God's intentions. And what we find is the fact that so many times, if we think about the fact that if they applied the same dedication the same hard work, the same time, the same resources and everything. But they didn't do it according to God's plan. They decided to build the tabernacle according to their plan. Same effort, same energy, same resources. Everything could have been exactly the same. But they didn't do it according to God's will. Guess what? He's not showing up. The reason he's showing up is because they have done this thing the right way. Then we also, after we consider the obedience, we also understand, consider the manifestation the manifestation of God's presence. In that same verse, in 4034, it says this, Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Notice there that it's two different places. The cloud covered the tent of the congregation, meaning where the Holy of Holies and the holy place are, but it says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So the entire place is filled with the glory. So we see here an arrival in represent, uh, God's arrival is represented in two different ways. We see first of, all, first of all in the form of a cloud. Okay? Now in that form of a cloud, we see that clouds show up in Scripture 147 different times. You'll find the word cloud, and, in, and in almost every time it's always, almost always associated with God's presence, with God's presence in related to that cloud. The first time we saw it in Exodus was back in 1321. It said, And the Lord went before them by pillar, by day in a pillar of a cloud, to lead them the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by way, go by day and night. So we see God functioning as a guide. As they're moving through the landscape, he is functioning as their guide. And what we have to realize is the fact that as you and I move through the landscape of our lives, God needs to be our guide. We need to learn to follow what the Lord has for us. But we also see that He's guiding them when he's moving. He's working as a guide. But when he stands still, the reason he stands still is because he wants to commune. He wants to connect. And we understand. Remember that up on Mount Sinai, two different times, God, God arrived on the mountain two times because why? He wanted Moses to come up and see him, right? And then we know there was one other occurrence where we actually saw him show up at Moses' personal tent. Back in Exodus 33, verses 9 through 11, Moses sets up his tent, his personal tent, which you'll see it listed as tabernacle. It's not talking about the God's tabernacle. It says here, And it came to pass, as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the door, at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man in his tent door. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he returned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Well, so what was interesting here is in the fact of God's presence is now in Exodus 40, he is now resting in the tent and upon the tent. See, before he only rested at the door. Before, he was visiting Moses at his tabernacle. But now, 
he's indwelling his own tabernacle. Wow. It's no longer a visit. He's taking ownership, mm. right? It's a beautiful thing. Remember, where's the tabernacle now? That's us. That's us, right? Yeah. Indwelling Holy Spirit. Then we also see the fact that God manifests not only as a cloud, but it also says as his glory, right? And it says the glory of the Lord. Now, we read that verse one more time. Then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, we don't know exactly what the glory of the Lord is, okay? We have a really good understanding from our representation, what we're going to read in Scripture, but we're going to get a good idea of it as we read these, uh, these different explanations. In Ezekiel 10.4, he's going to give us an explanation of the glory. It says, Then the glory of the Lord went up from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house, and the house was filled with the cloud, and the court was full of the brightness of the Lord's glory. In Luke 2.9, we see here, this is whenever they're making the proclamation of the coming of Christ, whenever Jesus is born. It says here, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about, round about them, and they were sort afraid. Then Ezekiel gives us a more descriptive, uh, in Ezekiel 1, he tells us this, And I saw as the color of amber, so he gives us an idea, as the appearance of fire, round about within it, from the appearance of his loins, even upward, and from the appearance of his loins, even downward, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and it had brightness round about. As the appearance of the bow, which is talking about a rainbow, as in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. So the glory of the Lord appears to be a manifestation of incredibly intense, bright light, overwhelmingly powerful. In this case, the cloud is on the tent, but the glory is filling the entire tabernacle. Just picture the scene, right? As the cloud that was, as I said, on the mountain is now sitting right in the middle of your camp. And then the glory of the Lord, this light is just exploding out from this point. All these Israelites, they've all been working. And when they set all that stuff up and they started backing up, and all of a sudden it was like, and this took place. Holy, everybody's like, goodness gracious. And Moses is like, everybody's like, wow, what is going on? This is unbelievable. And what we find is this leads us into the next thing. This is the first factor, as I talked about. There's going to be three different factors about God's presence. And this is the first one, which is our posture. Our posture in the presence of God. I want you to listen to this in Exodus. In that 40, 35, it says, And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Okay? Now, we get an even clearer picture of how powerful this manifestation of and this glory is as it's coming out. It is literally one of those things. It doesn't say that he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not willing or that he's fearful to enter. It says that he's unable to enter. He cannot enter the tabernacle. We know he's comfortable being close to God. We know that he met God up on top of the mountain. He met him at his tent. But in this situation, he's not able. It says he's not able to go into the tent. Now, we don't know exactly where he is, but we can certainly deduce based upon what Scripture says about what his posture probably is in this moment. If we go to Ezekiel 44, 4, it says this, Then brought he me the way of the north gate before the house, and I looked, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord, and I fell upon my face. Back in 27, we were back there a minute ago, we were reading, and said, I fell upon my face. Here he says, I fell upon my face. We think about Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, when he is given an opportunity to be brought to heaven and face God, and he sees him in his glory, he says here, In the year of the king Uzziah died, I saw also uh, the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. 
Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. So two he covered his feet, two covered his face, two he flew. And one cried one to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Notice that in this vision, the glory of the Lord is filling the entire planet. It's not filling just the tabernacle. It's pouring out upon the earth. And the post of the door moved, and the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And then said I... Woe is me. Now I can imagine. He doesn't tell us what his posture is, but we based upon what he says, you have a pretty good idea. He's crumbling before God. Mm -hmm. Woe is me. He says, "Uh, for I am undone. Because, Because I'm a man of unclean lips, I have a realization of who I am. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. I've allowed myself to be around sinful things. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, humbled before the Lord and the mighty power of God and His glory. Right? Then we look in Revelations. 1, verses 16 and 17, as John is called into heaven to give a first time, a first-hand realization of seeing God. And he says, And he had in his right hand seven stars, and on his, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Mm. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Hey, this is God. Matthew 17, verses 5 through 7. This is the Mount of Transfiguration. This is James, Peter, and John. Listen here. It says, While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and be not afraid. Mm. So we see very similar occurrences here. Some Old Testament. Some New Testament. And there's a difference between the two, if we'll notice. Notice it with, with, with Isaiah and with Ezekiel. God, yes, they fall before him and they're reverent before him and God speaks. But what you'll find as you read the scripture is God's just instructing them on how it is they're to live. This is what you should do to live your life and this is how you need to lead others. But there's a difference. Notice in the New Testament, we find here in Revelations and we also find in Matthew that God doesn't just simply tell them what they should do. What he actually does is he tells them, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Ezekiel and Isaiah, they're fearful. With good reason. And John and James and Peter, they're fearful too. But God says, hey, I don't want you to be afraid. And there's a reason why. Consider this. For these men, the Old Testament, humanity is still working for salvation as their redemption was through faith and works. Faith and works. But what we find here is when you get to the New Testament, Jesus did the work. Right? It's no longer about work and faith, it's faith alone. He says, you need not be fearful in the fact that of the work that you need to do because understand that I've already done it. The Lord tells them not to be afraid before the work of salvation was done by him. They wouldn't have to earn it, just simply receive it. The restoration of intimacy with God was accomplished through Christ. See, it's his love for us. The relationship with man, with humanity between man and God was changed forever because of his love. You and I are given an unbelievable opportunity. Instead of dealing with the separation and the fear that used to exist between God and man. Because of love. A bridge was formed. Right? A truce was established. A payment was made. Not by us. We didn't work. We just trust. And by faith we receive the gift 
and the closeness that existed in the Garden of Eden can be restored. Just like that. It's awesome. Listen to what Jesus says here in John 15, 15. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you my friends. For all the things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. See, prior to this moment, the idea of claiming God as a friend, there's very few that could even fall into the category. There's only one in Scripture that's ever called God's friend. Abraham has called this in James 2.23. It says this, And the Scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. But we saw in Moses when in, in 33.11, when he came to the tent, it says that he spoke to him face to face as unto a friend, right? And there's something there with each of these men. Both of these men came from lives of being fearful men. They were fearful. They weren't full of faith. They lived lives that were like this. But what you find is over time, they became more and more and more and more faithful. They become more and more men of faith. And what happens is they became unshakable. Eventually, instead of being uh, impacted by their circumstance or by their emotions, they learned to stand upon what they knew of God. And they had faith in the face of unbelievable circumstances. And it was the intimacy of submission, obedience, and faith that garnered faith that garnered them the honor of being called God's friend. But because of the Lord's submission, see, because the Lord Jesus Christ, he submitted. And because of his obedience unto death. In the age of grace, all we have to do is have faith. Faith and faith alone. Just a matter of faith. Look at what Jesus said in John 15, 14. He says, ye are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Wow. So now anybody, anybody who has faith can be called the friend of God. John 15, 12. We want to know what his commandment is. He tells us, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. So not only are we to serve God, but we're all supposed to, supposed to, also supposed to serve others, right? We're supposed to have a heart of service. And this is countercultural in the fact that we are in a culture that says serve self. Me and me alone, I'm going to worry about mine first and then worry about others. But see, Jesus lays it out for us. He tells us what we're supposed to do. In Mark 10, verses 44 through 45, he tells us, he's just talking to the disciples as they're arguing about who's going to be on the right hand, who's going to be on the left, who's going to be the most important disciple. And he says, ah, fellas, hey. And whatsoever, he says, and whosoever you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. And even, he says, for even the Son of Man, he says, even I, who is the top of the dog, top dog, I'm head and top, what is it called? Head cheese? That's not good. No, head cheese is not good. What do we call Top cheese? What is it? Big cheese. That's it. Not head cheese. That's terrible. <laughs> the big cheese. It says, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. I didn't come here to be served, but to minister. Amen. And to give his life a ransom for many. Mm. Not only did I come to serve, but I came to give all, even my very life. So, it is the very service, it is our very service to humanity and with a surrendered heart that gives us the intimacy with God that we crave, which will allow us to be called a friend of God. And what I want us to do is challenge ourselves in 2021. I know our culture is going to tell us to serve ourselves. Our culture is going to tell us to watch out for us. Our culture is going to tell us to sort of, you know, uh, you know circle, circle the wagons. But we need to reach out. We need to care for the world. Amen. We need to have a heart for humanity. We have a heart for the lost world. We must find ways that we get out of our own comfort zone and do things for somebody else. We can make a decision. Again, if we're not careful, we'll fall right into taking care of ourselves, and we need to be worrying about taking care of others. 
So we see here, as we get back to Moses, in this moment, as the glory of the Lord covered the tabernacle, we, not even Moses is able to get intimate with God. There's that separation. Now understand, at this time, there's still a separation between God and man. There's still that fear that's related, and that would stay until Jesus' death on the cross, which will provide us that unprecedented access to the Lord. But we see here, not only do we get to be God's friend, but there's also need to be a reverence that's attached to that. A reverence. Now, not a reverence that's out of fear, not fear of damnation, but actually a love of God, a reverence for the Lord, out of thanks and gratitude. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says this, But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. So many times we don't take the time to thank the Lord for the things that He's doing in our life. We wake up every day and we just kind of roll on through our day. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thanks, thanks for the day, Lord. We don't take time to truly see and be thankful for what God's done and what God's saying. He said, look, you know what? Take the time to tell me that you love me. Take the time to be reverential to me in the fact that you recognize and appreciate all that I'm doing for you. Amen. For goodness sakes. We think about kids that are ungrateful. We're like, man, how can they be that way? Yet, that's it's us. We're like ungrateful children who don't take the time to thank the Lord. Our, rever our reverence unto God and position of worship should not be out of fear, but out of love and overwhelming gratitude, which leads us to the practicality of his presence. So we looked at the posture. Now we look at the practicality. This in verse, in the verses number 36 and 37, it says, and when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the children of Israel went onward on all their journeys. But if the cloud were not taken up, then they journeyed not till the day that it was taken up. Now, what an incredible blessing. <laughs> they literally have God leading them. I mean, physically he's there. He's telling them when they go forward, and he's telling them when they stop. So we're literally, they can look out with their own eyes and see what God has for them to do. And that's pretty amazing. And we, you know, we think, man, you know, can it get any easier than that? You know, do we go forward today? Well, no, not today. Do we stand still? Well, not today. It's like that game, red light, green light. Right? You ever play it when you're a little kid? You're like, you're like this. Green light, shoot me, red light, red light, slam on the brakes. And everybody's trying to get there, get there, right? I don't remember the rules of the game, but I remember the red light, green light. But we think, how easy can it get? You're just, you're just told to do, you just respond, right? And God's saying, hey, this is what you do. And not only is he doing that, but also at the same time, he's leading them. So he's indicating to them what direction they should go, when they should go, but at the same time, he's taking them step by step. And we think about this, man, you know what? I mean, if that was for me, if I woke up every day and there was a pillar outside of my house, God's like, come on, going this way, okay. I mean, I'd never get off track, Lord. I would, I would, I would never, ever lose sight of God. Really? Really? Because I want us to consider this, the fact that, I mean, hey, what does God call himself? He calls himself the good shepherd. Right? What does a shepherd do? A shepherd stands, sets an example, and leads. And the sheep's job, just follow. You don't have to be creative, just follow. John 10, 11, he said this, I am the good shepherd. And good, they said the good shepherd gave his life for the sheep. How does he lead? How does it work? How, what is it, how is it supposed to function? Go to one of the most famous psalms in the entire Bible, Psalm 23, and listen to this. This is about a, a shepherd leading his flock. Put yourself in the sheep, the sheep role. That's us. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Hear that? I'm content. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He's providing for me. He leadeth me beside the still waters. Leadeth me. I follow to the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. He shows me how I'm supposed to live my life for His name's sake. Right? Not for me. Right. 
Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. I need not to be afraid. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Not only will he protect me, but he'll comfort me whenever I'm fearful. Thou preparest the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. I need not to be fearful. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. I live an abundant life. Amen. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I'm a child of the king. Led by the shepherd, man, I'm walking with him, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? He's leading us every day. The problem is we just need to let him lead us. Psalm 32, verse 8 says this, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. John 14, 26, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said unto you. James 1.5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto him. Amen. So it's not like we don't have a guide. It's not like we don't have an example. Because obviously we do. Amen. Huh? Our problem is we don't like to follow. We don't like to follow. Isaiah 53.6 describes us. Sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And what does it lead to? And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Being guided by our emotions and our desires, it's a lot easier than following God. It's easy. Following our flesh comes naturally. And when it goes wrong, which it always does, mm -hmm. right? It's a lot easier in those moments when it goes badly, not to take responsibility upon ourselves, but to start look for reasons why. It's not, you know what? <sighs> Give me a break. Circumstances. Nothing I could do, dude. You have no idea the home that I was raised in. You have no idea the culture. What's going on right now and all the influences in my life? My goodness gracious. How did God even let this happen? We'll even put responsibility on him like Adam did. Right? The woman that you gave me. <laughs> right? Trying to throw God under the bus and we'll do the same thing. And God said, hey, you know what? Hey, no, no, no. But what happens? It's not until we take personal accountability for our actions and we realize the fact that we're accountable to God. And that accountability to God allows us to realize and keep ourselves on track for Him. God is willing to guide us and help us every step of the way. 2 Timothy 2.7 says this, Consider what I say, and the, Lord give, it says, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Our problem is that we are bad followers. God's set an example. He leads us every day. He's given us visual examples. He's put people in our lives. He's, I mean, he's done all that he can to go, hey, this way, this way. And we're like, yeah, not today. <laughs> yeah. And we find ourselves over here in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And the good news is the, sh is the shepherd. He's a faithful shepherd. He's a good shepherd. And we find ourselves in the brambles, stuck in the bushes, all tangled up in a mess in the bottom of a pit. What does he do? He leaves the 99 Amen. that are doing the right thing. Yeah. And he goes after the knuckleheads like us. Mm -hmm. And he pulls off the brambles and he wipes off the mud. And he scoops Amen. us up because we're exhausted and tired from fighting the world. Amen. Places us on his shoulders. Amen. Carries us back. Amen. And the whole time, I love you. It's okay. Praise I know. I know. You didn't mean to. 
It's going to be okay. Let's get you back in the flock. Just follow me. What a beautiful picture. Many times they followed because of fear, but we're given an opportunity to follow because of faith. Thank God. He's already leading. All we have to do is follow, which leads us to the permanence, the permanence of God's presence, which is verse 38. For the cloud of the Lord was upon the tabernacle day by day, and fire was on it by night. In sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. See, God was ever present. He appeared as the cloud or he appeared as the fire. 24 hours a day when you looked out, you could find him. He was always there. Can you imagine the comfort of being in the midst of a wilderness, fearful of all that's around you, and to be able to look out? You wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, you step out of your tent and you look. Pillar of fire. He's with us. Whew. I don't know. I don't know what that howl was out there. <laughs> I heard that noise. Did you hear that noise? I heard that noise too, man. I don't know what that was. But God's here. Amen. We're good. It's like if you ever went camping and you're a kid and you're with your parents. <laughs> Mama. You're not any more safe than you were before. But for some reason, if she reaches over and puts her arm around you, oh, I'm safe. I'm good. The presence of your parent makes you feel safe. And it's so beautiful in the fact that here they are, man. If anything happens, he's there. Believer, isn't that true of us? Isn't that true of us? Isn't that the truth of what we have? Didn't God give us promises in Psalm 23, 4? We just saw one. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the darkest, deepest place you could ever find in this life, you're at the edge of death. He says, when you're in that most dark point, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. He says, guess what? Guess what? He's with me. I'm scared. Problem is, so many times we, we don't pay attention. Even though His presence is there, we'll turn our back. You ever try to comfort your child and they didn't want to receive it? You reach out and they'll... No, oh, touch me. That's like us. Many times God's there. He's going, hey, I'm going to comfort you. Uh-uh, uh-uh, stop. And He said, uh-uh, let me comfort you. 20, Matthew, Matthew 28, 20 says this, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I command you. And lo, I am with you always even unto the end of the world. Amen. I'll always be there. I will never, ever leave. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 is this. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he saith, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Look at the result of that. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will fear not what man shall do unto me. Amen. There's nothing in this world that can happen that God won't protect me. And take care of me. And if God forbid you take me from the earth, hey man, praise the Lord, I'm with the Lord, man. This place stinks. This place is full of all kinds of struggles and problems and issues. Somebody who's dealing with a physical issue right now, man, my mother-in-law at home sometimes, you know what, she's at our house. And there are days that are hard. She's broken. And she'll, she'll say, you know, why am I still here? And you know what? Sometimes life's just hard. But see, God has a plan. In every situation, in every circumstance, He's working in our lives. And it's a matter of letting Him lead us, depending upon Him in these circumstances. See, our Lord is ever-present. He's available 24 hours a day. There's a hotline always open. You need Him. All you need to do is pray. Not only is He available, but guess what? He understands what we're going through. 
and he cares. Right? Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16 says this, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what we're going through, but was in all points tempted like as we are. He knows what it's like to be a person yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's there for us. These Israelites have been looking forward to God's arrival all this time. And you know what? Now what he's saying is now they're tasked to follow him. To follow him. Just follow. And if they will, his presence will provide guidance and comfort and protection and wisdom and strength. All of those things. And so as, as we look at the Israelites, we think of how lucky they are to have, this, have him physically there. But I want you to consider God's presence in our lives. Think about the reality of what we have. We have access to God. If you're a born-again child, a born-again child of God, you have a relationship with God that's not only established, but is eternal, that can never be broken, that can never be changed. God loves you right where you are. And guess what? He is accessible to us. We have access to Him. The question is, where are we with God? Is our posture before the Lord reverential? Is it humble or is it prideful? And rebellious. Are we practically following the Lord as He leads? Or are we going our own way? Right? Are we living in the assurance and the permanence of Him in our lives? Right? Walking in victory as a child of the King. Walking in victory. Understanding instead of living a defeated life, there are Christians today that are living defeated lives. They live life beaten and broken because guess what? They've lost sight of God. He's right in the midst of the camp, but they got their back turned. They're looking into the darkness. And God said, hey, hey, that's my choice. It's not that you don't have a place to go. It's because you don't choose to come. And what we find here is God's incredible love for us never leaves us. He's always there. We're the ones that do the leaving. Now, if that's you today, Wherever you are in your walk, if you're the one that's, that's leaving, you're the one that's walked away from God, you're online, you're watching this, wherever you are, understand that God's there for you. Like the prodigal son's father, standing with his arms open, the Bible says that he's watching. He's watching. God is waiting on us. He's looking for our return. <clears throat> And as we're the prodigals and we drift away, he stands like this with arms wide open, ready to lovingly receive us back. The wait's over for the Israelites. And it can be for you if you'd be willing to humble yourself before God, allow him to guide your life, and claim the victory that's already yours. So then instead of living in isolation, feeling alone and broken, we can experience the presence of of his love. You see, in Exodus 40, we see the presence of God is certainly real for the Israelites. It's real, it's tangible, it's a part of their life. The question is for us is it real for us? Is God's presence real for us? Are we depending upon him? Are we walking and following his direction? Are we doing what he's called us to do? His presence is available to all of us. Just no matter not whether or not 
we're willing to claim it. He's waiting on us, waiting on you to turn to him. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for giving us a beautiful message about your presence. As Lord, as we do prepare to move forward in our study of the scripture, God, thank you for the beautiful pictures that you've taught us and what you've shown us in the scriptures in the book of Exodus. It has been an incredible journey uh, for me, if no one else. And Lord, I'm so thankful for it. And with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, if you're here today and God's spoken to your heart and you're working your way back, I want you to know that God is here and he's waiting on you. You'll have an opportunity to, to surrender to him. If you're online, if wherever you are, and you say, you know what, Pastor, I don't, I don't even have a relationship with God. Understand, that's a matter of, that's the very first step, is getting established with a relationship with him. It's not through works, it's through faith. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. By faith, the Lord is willing to receive you. He's done all the work. When Jesus went to the cross, he paid for the sins of the world because of love. And it's that love that he extends to you today. If you're here or you're online, wherever you are, you want to receive that gift. He's waiting on you. He's done everything. It's simply up to you to respond. So if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. And it's not a matter of the words of the prayer that will do anything for you. It's not that at all. This is not a ceremony. There's nothing uh, that's to be done because of the church. This is between you and God. If you're online, you're watching this recorded, you can do this right now. And you're going to talk to the Lord because guess what? 24 hours a day, he's ready, willing, and able to receive you. So with their heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, you realize that you are lost and you're undone without him. Or maybe you're broken. You need to be restored. This is your time. I want you to pray after me. I'm going to repeat you. I'm going to, I'm going to pray. I want you to repeat after me. It's just the, the words will not save you, but it's the intention of the heart. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry for my sins. I know that I've hurt you. I've hurt myself and I've hurt others. I repent of my sin. I turn from who I was to receive you as my savior. Lord, I'm asking you to come into my heart forgive me of sin and to save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Head's still bowed, eyes still closed. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer and you were sincere and you meant business with God and you said, you know what? I called upon the name of the Lord and you know what he did? He came into my heart and he saved me today. If that's you, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand real quick and put it right back down. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to point you out. If you've made that decision, you're online. You can reach out to us. We want to help you in this walk. You've now been established as a Christian. You're now walking, have an opportunity to walk with God. We want to show you how to experience his presence fully and completely. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us with this time. I pray, God, that you'll guide and direct us, Father, through this year to come. Lord, help us to start out on the right foot. Serving others, God, having a heart that's broken and submissive. Lord, help our posture before you to be humble. Lord, help our our practicality be about us following you every day. And Lord, the permanence of you, Lord, help that to be something we cling to and always hold tight. God, that you are always with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.